please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. As we continue working our way through this book. We recently began a study in the book of Acts. We will continue working all the way through it. Here we are in Acts, the end of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We'll be looking at a picture of the early church here, early as in just a few days old. And so we'll get a good picture of that. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask for his help with the text. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would take your word and that you would mold us with it, that we would not conform to the teachings of this world, to the thought of the world, to the struggles of this world even, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds and the renewing of our minds would come through your word. Your word is living and active. It is not a stale message, but it is always applicable to the lives of your people today and forevermore. And so, Lord, we pray that it would even now touch our hearts that we might hear from you the truth that we will be convicted of our sin and that we would walk with you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I read through this passage, it made me think of this idea of just plain and ordinary things and made me think of a particular art style. You guys know I'm married to an artist, so along the way I've picked up a few things from from hearing here and there about things. And so made me think of this particular style of art that I remember hearing about um, called Dadaism. And it was kind of started and really popularized by a man, a man by the name of Marcel Duchamp. And in 1917, and I don't know if I pronounced that name correctly, I'm sorry if I didn't. In 1917, he submitted a piece of art to the Society of Independent Artists of New York. And it was rejected by them. The piece was called Fountain. It was said that Fountain, this piece of art, changed art forever. Changed the way that people look at art, what people call art. I read several articles about it from like very prominent type publications. Uh, many interpretations about the piece that have, that have changed even over the years. Different groups that have used this piece, Fountain, uh, in order to kind of rally to their cause. That this is what he was really saying when he put this piece of art out, and then this is really about what we're about. And so they've kind of taken that mantle. The original piece was actually lost to time, but copies were made carefully crafted under the artist's supervision. One of those copies actually sold for as much as $1.8 million dollars. What was Fountain? It was a urinal. Duchamp went on to create other pieces that they were called ready-mades, is what they were called, like a bottle rack, a bicycle wheel, and inspired others like a doorstop and a shopping cart, pieces of art. Each of these pieces have been combed over for meaning and symbolism, and it's caused the 
definition of art really to be stretched to its absolute limits. They are plain, everyday, mass-produced items. And so in our passage today, we're going to see the church, the very early church. In these first few days of the church, the things were very plain and simple, what we're going to read from this passage. And what we're really going to read throughout the rest of this book, actually. The believers followed a very simple set of principles and ideas. Since then, the church has been interpreted in many different ways. Of course, some try to recreate the Acts church and even say things like, we are an Acts church, which sounds good, I guess. Many others decide how they think the church should be kind of apart from the Bible. And they will say things, well, like 2,000 years ago, you know, the Lord understands that things have changed so much and so radically that the church has to change with it. Again, that kind of sounds nice. Should we look at this church here in Acts chapter 2 as a way that we should do church? Should we discard them completely and do church as it makes sense in our current cultural context? These are questions that plague many churches, really. It's a very important question. The churches turn to words like relevant and meeting them where they are. And more recently, one of my favorite words is contextualization. Fun, fun mouthful. Why? In order to figure out how we should do church. In a world that needs Jesus. It's a very good question. Very strong motives. So how do we answer that question? The scriptures should be our obvious choice. They're here to instruct and guide us. They have authority over us. And so we should turn to them with any question. Definitely questions concerning how should we do church. And so we're going to look at this passage. And we'll look at two main ideas. The church worship together. And the Lord grew his church. And so with that, let's stand together in the honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42 through the end of the chapter. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just quickly, remember where we left off last week with Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit came down into the church. And they they kind of went out in the street and they were speaking so that anyone in any language could have heard what they were saying. And at the conclusion of Peter's sermon, many thousands were saved. The church grew. Consider this. Remember in the upper room, there were just several dozen people, dozens, maybe a little over 150 or so, grew from a few dozen to a few thousand in one day. 
So there must have been some shock to the leadership there, obviously. But they were prepared. They watched how the Lord Jesus led them. The Lord Jesus handled crowds himself, did he not? So they, they, were, they knew what was going on. Consider the scene. All these folks hearing and responding to the gospel. Now they need to know how then do we go on with our lives? How do we proceed since we know this truth and it has cut us to the heart? And so with that, we get this very short description of how the days and weeks and years even followed afterward. This is the descriptive text, meaning that we aren't to be, we aren't commanded necessarily to do anything here. This is just a descriptive, not a prescriptive text. To be sure, each of the things that they are found doing, or that they are doing, we can find in other places as commands. But here, we are not given a blueprint for the church, even though I've heard a few sermons from this passage titled that. That said, there are some very clear principles for us here. Whether we are doing church in Jerusalem at 50 AD or before 50 AD, or in Murray, Kentucky in 2018, the principles still stand the same because God's word is timeless. And so with that, let's look at the first point, the church that worshiped together. Verses 42 and 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So let's take a look quickly just at what the things that they were doing together, all of which could be put under the heading worship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning that they were listening to the preaching of the word. Paul tells us in Romans 10... That faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Turn with me quickly to Romans 10, because I think it will be a good springboard for us into this passage. Romans 10, I'm going to start at verse 13, and read from there. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they are not all obeyed. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, The Lord, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. What does he equate? Well, he equates hearing the word, that faith comes from that. That the preacher, then, is preaching that very word. And so here in the New Testament, in Acts, in this, in this little bit that we get from this early church, the apostles are teaching the very word of God. In other places in the Old Testament and New, we are told to be attendant to the word of God. That we have the very word of God written down by the apostles, by the prophets, by others. And they were to devote themselves to that teaching, to devote themselves to the Word of God. And to do so in such a way that was active, that they were engaged 
with the subject. This wasn't just a passive soaking in. This was a devotion devoted to the word of God in which the words that were spoken actually would change the people there. Then we're told that they then we're told that they devoted themselves to fellowship. It means they devoted themselves to being in worship together. You could narrowly define this, I guess, as going to church, but I guess there's a there's actually a whole lot more here. They worshiped often. And when they were together, they worshiped. There was none of this, I like to go to church with myself, or I'm a church to myself, silliness that you hear today. They, under church, they understood that the church is a gathering of God's people, whether it was two or two thousand, but it was done in the fellowship of others regularly. It says that they were breaking the bread. Take this here to mean a reference to the Lord's Supper. Um, I've done a little bit of study on this, actually, because I think this refers more to the Lord's Supper. And later, when it talks about breaking bread, that's probably more so just having meals together. I think it could be taken as just having meals together. But I think we'll see, again, that more later in the passage. I really do believe that this is talking about the sacrament. They took the sacrament regularly together. Why did they do that? Because Jesus told them to. As Jews, they knew the significance of the covenant sign. They knew that the Lord's Supper was a refiguring of the Passover meal. Whereas Jesus has now come the true Passover spotless lamb. He represents that lamb that was slain for all time from the foundations of the world. There is no more need to sacrifice a new one every Passover because he has done that once and for all. And so why take the sacrament often then? There's a question to you spouses. Do you tell your wife or you, your husband that you love them often? If not, you should. Just because something is true doesn't mean that you aren't constantly affirming that truth. Always. And if you say it a thousand times, does it lose its meaning? No, it shouldn't. Because the meaning is tied up in something way beyond the words themselves. There is more substance there than just the words or just these elements. There is much more to them. Just like the sacrament, it doesn't lose its meaning when we take it every week, which we do here. The meaning goes beyond my feelings on any given Sunday. Well, I'm just not feeling it this week. That does not change this sacrament. So they took it together weekly. Or more often than that, who knows? We take it together weekly. Just like Jesus told them to. To remember and to hold on to his promises. And then they devoted themselves to prayer. They prayed together. They prayed their own prayers It's likely they prayed Psalms and the prophets and from the scriptures. We saw this from the very beginning when the disciples met in the upper room. They devoted themselves to prayer there when Jesus told them to wait. They continued to do so. Prayer was something that Jesus taught them to do. For sure, Jesus was a man of prayer. They prayed just as Jesus did. And it's something that they would later teach their church in perpetuity 
what to do with their writings. We see that from all the apostles. It's important. It was important then, and it should be an important thing now. So the question is for us, why have we taken these very plain things, the scriptures, prayer, fellowship, the sacraments, and making them and made a mockery of them? The same, the same reason that we always change God's word, because we think that our way is better. You don't have to read very far into this book to find someone doing that and to, and to find someone taking God's word and saying, you know what, my way is better. It's probably on page two or three in your Bible. We continue to do that, especially when it comes to the plain things of the church. We know we are to teach God's word. Absolutely. And it can legitimately take many forms. You can teach through books of the Bible, which is what we choose to do here at Redeemer. You can do topical sermons that are very biblically based. You can pick sections of books with common themes. There's lots of ways to teach the Word legitimately. As long as you have the book open, you're reading from it and talking about it, that's a good thing. But where many go off the rails is when they try to teach something without using Scripture. Maybe their motives begin as pure. They're just trying to make the Bible relevant or whatever by not mentioning the Bible. But they always leave out the actual Word of God because the Bible is too plain. We have to assign extra things to it in order to make it more meaningful to people who don't understand a book that was written 2,000 years ago, which consequently is about the Scripture or is about Jesus the one, the only one who can save them. But people don't want to hear about Jesus. They want to hear about how to have a better marriage or how to make more money or how to be a good leader or whatever other nonsense out there. But they don't want to hear about their Savior, the one they need to hear about. Once we remove the word, guess what else goes with it? Everything else. Fellowship is replaced with Sunday afternoon travel soccer games. The sacraments are relegated to a couple of times a year where anyone can come. Prayer is something that old people do. Unless, of course, you just put the word prayers on Facebook and you've prayed, right? Brothers and sisters, we are the church. The church follows the word of God. The word says that we'll be a group that doesn't forsake the meeting together as is the habit of some. So we won't. We'll meet together as often as possible. The word says that we should take the Lord's Supper. So we will, regularly. The word says that we should pray. So we'll do it as often as we can. Whether it's the end thing to do or the relevant thing to do, we're going to do it. And then we're going to trust the Lord for the results. That brings us to the next point. The Lord grew His church. Look with me at verses 44 through 46. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What I think is going on here really is just the outworking of what was happening in verse 42. Because they were doing these ordinary plain things regularly, 
it made it made itself out into their normal everyday lives. Notice how did they interact with the world? They shared with all of those who had need from their very own possessions. They sold what they had and shared with others. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. Was this a group that was trying to stir bad things up? No, they were trying to live as they were taught to live. Did they stir things up? Absolutely. Because they were living as they were taught to live. And they stirred things up negatively in many ways. Not because they were bad, but because their word was received that way. But why was it received that way? What did Jesus tell them? They will hate you because they hated me first. The early church didn't give them a reason to hate them. They just hated their creator And so they spurned the church for that. And added to that, what they did was very plain. They were pleasant. They were generous. They found favor with all the people. It wasn't because they were lax in their doctrine. They didn't let go of their doctrine in order to be relevant to their culture. It was because of the strength of their doctrine that they were able to go out and do those things. And notice what the result was. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, I know what we like to do here, right? And what many, many people have done. They attempt to make some sort of church-growing formula out of this. We need a little dash of preaching and a dash of fellowship and, and so forth, and then then we'll get to grow the church, Right? We like to focus on numbers growth here, but we miss what's actually going on and who's actually doing the growing. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Not anything they were doing. It was the Lord's doing, as it always is. What about this formula, though? Let's note what they were doing. It's very plain, is it not? Preaching the Bible, teaching the Bible, fellowship, sacraments, prayer. We have a term for these things actually in the Reformed tradition. They're called the ordinary means of grace. I'm often asked by well-meaning folks who know that we're, we're planning a church here in Murray. And they'll say, Pastor, how are you planning to grow your church? And you know me. I have to kind of bite my lip a little bit. Um, I try not to show any disdain in my face, but that's really hard. Um, but I brush it off. It's the fact that I don't grow anything, and I answer them with a very simple answer every single time. The ordinary means of grace. They're wanting to hear about some sort of crazy ad campaign, which nothing's wrong with ad campaigns. Nothing's wrong with that. Nothing's wrong with advertising your church, obviously. They want to hear about some sort of maybe special event that we're going to do to bring in the droves. Nothing wrong with special events, obviously. Nothing wrong with that. But the only tool that we use that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is going to do the work. It's the ordinary means of grace. 
What's our long-term plan for growth here at Redeemer? It's the main and plain things of the gospel. We trust the Lord with the rest. Who's the one that adds to his church? Whose church is it to begin with? It's his. He does that work. We need to be faithful to these main and plain things. It is only in the name of Jesus Christ. Not in my words. Not in any programs or anything else that we might do. It is only in the name and by the name of Jesus Christ that man and woman might be saved. And that's what we're going to preach. And that's what we're going to continue to preach. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And in this church, you will come to understand that you are one of them. And you'll also hear that Jesus gave his righteousness for your sin. He became sin that you might become the righteousness of God. You don't deserve that. He did it anyway. That's the plain truth. Doesn't need any dressing up. Doesn't need me to add anything to it. And so let us, brothers and sisters, be a church that sticks to the plain truth of Scripture. The ordinary practices of the church. That doesn't mean that we can't do things differently. It doesn't mean that we can't have church out at the lake or have lunch together after church or have a website or a Facebook page or anything else. These are all good things. They're all well and good, but they don't replace or add to the message that we already have. And so in conclusion, for us, we have two tasks, really. Let me challenge you to these. One, continue to pray that the Lord would use us here at Redeemer Community Church and that we would be committed to the plain message of the gospel, to the ordinary means of grace, preaching and teaching of the word, fellowship, prayer, the sacraments. And two, as important, if not more importantly, that the churches in our area, all of them, that they would hold fast as well. To the plain message of the gospel, to the teaching of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to prayer. And that the Lord would add to the number those who are being saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are guilty of many, many times wanting to dress up the plain truth of the gospel to make it sound different for today. But there's no need for that. You are timeless. We are but a vapor. How dare we take your word and try to change it? And so, Lord, first, please forgive us. Secondly, Lord, please change our hearts that we might see your working even now as we speak. That you might grow your church here in Murray, Kentucky. That you would use us. That you would use the many churches around. That the gospel would be faithfully preached. That people's lives would be changed. And it would all point to you. Lord, we pray that you would get the glory here in Murray, Kentucky. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.